Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. And uh, as we get started, I have a couple of announcements. Uh, we are working on our winter missions project, and um, we want to encourage everybody to get some of these evangelism packs. And uh, this is a perfect opportunity for you to talk to somebody about the gospel. So what you do is you take one of these and you hand it to them. And you tell them that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? And Savior. Amen? And if you don't have an excuse to talk to them about Christ, now you do. You're going to hand them a pack and you're going to tell them the good news. Amen? And tell them if they read further, they'll learn more. Amen? So uh, that's what these are for. These are for us as a church to become more evangelical. And uh, it's a good opportunity to invite somebody to church, to tell them about the church, tell them about our services. Um, But, of course, all of that is to uh, proclaim the gospel to them that they might be saved. Amen? And that God might be glorified in their salvation. There's no price. They're free. Take as many as you want and hand them out to as many people as you can. Amen? And and so what we're doing is, is we're giving, or I'm going to pass the envelope around again, we're giving to to put these materials together. That's what we're doing. And these will be available not just now, but always in the, in the resource room, uh, as far as I know, as long as they last. And I think one, one of these uh, packets costs uh, $6.62, if you're wondering. So um, evangelism packs, okay? Winter Missions Project. Do you have any in Spanish? There, there aren't any in Spanish, but we do have some Spanish resources. Um, you can go in the resource room, which is right upstairs behind the mirrors, or you can talk to one of the church secretaries and they'll help you. So I'm going to pass this envelope around again. Okay. Okay, and then also, we have, uh, we have a couple of supplemental CDs that we're handing out for the class. One is a sermon by David Wells. Anybody listen to that yet? Yes. How many of you have enjoyed that? Yes. Okay, two people. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you must have thought he was a loudmouth preacher. <laughs> no, he's not at all. He's a very gentle man. Uh, <clears throat> but and then there's another one by Steve Lawson. Both of those on the supremacy of Christ. And uh, if you haven't gotten one of those and listened to them, or both of those, they're back there on the table. Those are supplemental audio teachings to our lesson, which today we're beginning uh, on the topic of the supremacy of Christ in all things. Um, let's see. Okay, yes, I also want to recommend, um, I'll wait for the tape, and I'm going to recommend some resources to you. So uh, let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we do praise you today. We honor you, and we bless you, and we thank you for your goodness to us and for your kindness to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you, God, for the hope of heaven that we have firmly fixed as an anchor for our soul. Lord, we long for the day when you will bring your kingdom to the earth, when you will subject all your enemies under your feet, and that, Lord, peace will reign upon the earth forever and ever. Lord, we long for that day. We look for that day. And we eagerly await your coming. And, uh, Lord, we want to thank you for the privilege that we have today to gather in this place to look into your word and to freely proclaim your word and explain your word. Uh, Lord, we ask for divine power. Give us insight. Open our eyes. Cause us to see more clearly what you have said to us in your holy word. Strengthen our faith. Encourage us. Console us, Lord. Be for us a refuge and a strong tower. We thank you. Lord, for your holy word, we thank you for all that you are to us, and we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here with your holy family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. (coughs) 
Okay, so with that, I, I do want to recommend just a couple of resources to you real quick. These are, these are books that I use all the time in preparing my lessons. This one here is a Systematic Theology by R.L. Dabney. This is an absolutely fabulous book. This is one of my favorite books. I'm serious. <laughs> oh, I'm not making a joke. I read this book all the time, and you need one too. <laughs> Systematic Theology by R.L. Dabney. Okay, this is a, a 19th century work. It's, it's good stuff. Here's another one, Charles Hodge. Okay, this is a three-volume set. Uh, these are both available on uh, christianbook.com. The Hodge set is a bargain. They always have this um, as a bargain. He's known as one of the greatest theologians in church history, Charles Hodge. He was a Princeton theologian in the early 19th century or mid-19th century. And um, uh, he's got some great sections on the person of Christ, things that we've been talking about. I've used this quite a bit. I'm going to quote from it today. And uh, one other thing I want to tell you is both of these books in their entirety, this one is a three-volume set, but uh, are available on the Internet to download for free. The, the entire thing. So all you got to do, go to Google, type in Dabney Systematic <laughs> Theology, and you'll find links to this. Um, there's a website called lgmarshall.com or .org. I can't recall. lgmarshall.org or .com has both of these in PDF form uh, in their entirety on that website. By the way, that's a fabulous website. It's like Bible resource jackpot, okay? lgmarshall.com or lgmarshall.org. And the website's called Soli Deo Gloria. But M-A-R-S-H. Oh, Dabney, D-A-B-N-E-Y. Okay? Hodge, H-O-D-G-E. Charles Hodge, that is. Charles Hodge, that is. It's just uh, Hodge's Systematic Theology. Okay? Did everybody get all that? Do you want me to repeat any of that? Okay, and by the way, another really helpful thing, when you get one of these in PDF form, I don't know if you know this, but PDF has a search function. So you can go in the search box and you can find anything you want to find in that document. And, and, and then once you enter it in, it bring, on the right side, it brings up a bunch of links. And so all you do is click the link of, of where the search term showed up, and it will bring you right to that page. It's really a fancy way to, to be able to study some of these things. So it's like having a concordance or something like that inside your systematic theology volume. It's really cool. Okay. So with that, I want to read for you from the book of Revelation. <clears throat> this is the Word of God. Chapter 5, Revelation. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased 
For God, with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. Amen. There we have a picture in Revelation 5 of the exalted Christ. Amen. And there the scripture says that every created thing which is on the earth and under the earth will sing to the Lamb and to worship Him, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? Well, as we have been discussing, Jesus Christ, family, is supreme. He is supreme. Amen? Amen? It's an interesting thing to try and consider in light of all that is. So, if you will, we're talking about big things today. Big things. The biggest things. The biggest thing. Jesus Christ is supreme. And I want to try to help you get your hands around that because that big thing has impact on all the little things. All the little things of the world, all the little things of life, all the little things of death, all the little things that are, period. That big thing rules and governs over all other things. The fact that Jesus is supreme. He is the sovereign king. Amen? And so I want to talk to you about that. If you had listened to the CD audio we passed out from David Wells, there's a section in there where he's going along and he says this. He says, Jesus Christ is not great. He says he's in a category by himself. He's not to be compared to great men. Amen? And he uses a term about Jesus. He says he's incomparable. He's not comparable to other greats. Amen? Because he is supreme. And there he says something like this. He says, of what other person can you say that he created the world? And that he died for our sins. And that he is raised from the dead. And he is now exalted above the heavens at the right hand of God. With all power and dominion and authority and subjection to Him. Of what other great could you say such a thing? Or does any any great even approach anything like that? No, He's incomparable. Amen? And He is supreme. Jesus is the sovereign. He's God, very God. Exalted above the heavens. Amen? It's an interesting thing to consider in light of all that is. We look around, it doesn't necessarily look like Jesus is the sovereign, does it? And it's a very interesting time period that we live in here in between the cross and the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. Very interesting time period. Very interesting dispensation of time. A very interesting covenant under which God is now dealing with men. Amen? Or should I say mankind? Uh, So, if you will, consider that in the supremacy of Christ, that he is held out in the scripture as the Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what the Bible says. Amen? 
And not only does the Bible say that, but that is a truth in reality. Amen? Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. And uh, as the scriptures speak of Jesus Christ, there's no mistaking the clear portrait that it paints of his person. He is Lord. Without apology, he is lifted up and proclaimed as the Lord of all. For instance, Acts 2.36 says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And there Peter tells us that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. And then again in the book of Romans, chapter 10 and verse 12, there it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call upon him. And here the scripture says that Jesus is the Lord of all, either Jew or Greek. In other words, it doesn't matter what race you are. Jesus is the Lord. Amen? Amen. He's Lord over Jews. He's Lord over Greeks. He's Lord over Gentiles. He's Lord over red and yellow, black and white. Amen? Amen? He's Lord over mankind. Jesus is the Lord. In Revelation 17... And verse 14, it says this, These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. And here the scripture says He's Lord of lords. He's above all other lords. He is King of kings. He's above all other kings. And as we have been looking at in the the weeks uh, that have gone before us, They're seeing clearly the kingship of Jesus. So this word Lord implies his authority. Uh, He is the supreme authority. And of course you understand that the word sovereign means this exact thing. The definition of the word sovereign is the supreme authority. And this is what Jesus is. He is the supreme authority as we have seen. Uh, in the last few weeks, the, the scriptures we've been looking at. But in fact, Jesus himself claims to have all authority in heaven and on earth. And this is what he says to his disciples. One of the last things he says to them, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, it's recorded, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, how much is all? Everything. All is all. Amen? Jesus says all authority has been given to him. He possesses all authority. This authority is described in no uncertain terms in the New Testament. The authority of Jesus Christ is the highest authority, and he is in fact the sovereign, the supreme authority in the universe. He is described as, in the New Testament, as the head over all rule and authority. This is what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. There it says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Amen? And of course, in the last few weeks, we've looked at the passage in Ephesians several times in chapter 1, where it says that he's been exalted at the right hand of God far above all rule and authority. And then again in Philippians 2, where it says that God gave him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess of those who are on the earth and in the heavens and under the earth that everyone is going, to, is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God. Amen? <clears throat> well, Jesus is the Lord. He is the supreme. He is the sovereign. Uh, consider for a minute, if this is true, that Jesus Christ is supreme. That he really is the creator of everything that is. And that he really did die for sins. And that he really was raised from the dead. And that right now, he is at the right hand of God in heaven, exalted above all other powers. That he's exalted above all earthly powers and all heavenly powers 
King of kings, Lord of lords, even now on the throne in heaven. If that be true, consider what a sin that it is that the world ignores him. If he is indeed the sovereign God, the God of providence, doling out breath and life to mankind as he sees fit, consider what danger the world is in. Ignoring him, chiding him, despising him, and taking his name in vain as a cuss word. Imagine. Consider the sad state of affairs. And of course, all you have to do is look around and see the fruit that it's bearing on the earth. That men are in rebellion against this sovereign Christ. Consider what patience Christ has sitting on the throne and waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Amen? Consider the patience of God. It's amazing. Consider what a sin it is that men actually kill and persecute Christ's own people. I tell you, there's coming a day when his wrath will be kindled and things are going to drastically change. Amen? Well, consider that Jesus is the Lord of both men and angels. Think about this. Jesus is the Lord of both men and angels. The, the fact that Jesus is the Lord over all intelligent beings in creation is clearly seen in Scripture. Jesus is held forth as possessing all authority and judgment for the express purpose that all mankind may honor him. Now think about this thing that the scripture says. I want to read you this scripture in John chapter 5 verse 22 and following there it says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he, the Father, has given all judgment to the Son. Now why did God do that? Look what it says. In order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now consider this, that, that Jesus is possessing all authority and judgment for this express purpose, that all mankind may honor him. Jesus possesses authority for the purpose that mankind will honor him. What do you suppose in the end he will get? Honor. He will get honor. So, <clears throat> although things look rather bleak in the world right now, just hang on. Amen? There's coming a day when things are going to change, and they're going to change drastically. And Jesus warned us of that day. And in so doing, he, 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 he uh, warned mankind and told us, Repent, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your sins. Turn unto me. Come unto me, he bids us. Amen? Come unto me, he says, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus bids men gently to come to him now. Amen? In the future, he will come as a conquering king. Right now, the door of salvation is wide open and the grace of God is freely offered. Amen? But consider this idea that God has given him authority and has given all judgment to him in order that all men may honor him. You see, what Jesus is seeking is honor. You know why? Because honor is properly placed on Christ the Supreme. It has no other place. Honor in this world has no other place but to the one who gave it life and being and who sustains it even now by the word of his power. Where does honor belong properly? It belongs on Jesus, the supreme. Amen? 
You with me? So anything short of that, family, is to fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. He is the the expressed uh, uh, manifestation of the glory of God. In Hebrews 1, the radiance of his glory. That's Jesus, the person, supreme. Therefore, where does glory and honor properly belong? Amen? You see that? And there in Revelation, we see this picture where ultimately there is a, a time when every created being will give him that glory and that honor. Amen? Well, he is clearly seen in the New Testament as having power over every angel and authority and dominion. In 1 Peter in chapter 3 and verse 22, it says this, Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. And here the scripture is making a statement that Jesus is an authority over angels. And uh, again, in Ephesians chapter 1, a, a scripture we're very familiar with, there it says that he is uh, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Those are titles, those are angelic titles. And, and here Paul's making a clear statement that Jesus is exalted far above all angels, all authorities, all powers in the heavens. And uh, he goes on to explain, and every name that is named, not only in this age, not only in this age, the age that is now, but also when? In the age to come, right? Don't forget that. Remember, his dominion will be an everlasting dominion, right? And all nations will worship and obey him, right? Daniel seven twenty seven. There the scripture goes on in Ephesians 1 verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Scripture makes emphatic statements about his authority over all things, even going so far as to say that the eternal destiny of mankind, whether they have life after death or perish under God's wrath forever, all hinge on their obedience to Jesus Christ. Think about what this scripture says in John 3.35. There it says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So, How supreme is Jesus Christ? And how does that apply to mankind and their lives on the earth? Here's how it applies. He who believes in him has eternal life. He who does not obey him, the wrath of God abides on him. That's how supreme he is. So here's... Here is what the scripture says, that those who do not render obedience, obedience to Christ shall have the wrath of God to abide on them forever. That's how supreme Christ is. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians. I want to show you another scripture where it says something very similar to that. Of course, this is in reference to the second coming of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom upon the earth. But consider these scriptures here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And there Paul is comforting the persecuted church in Thessalonica. And he's talking to them about the fact that they've been afflicted in their persecutions, and he's seeking to console them with the thought that Christ is coming soon and is not going to tolerate that forever. And this is what he says to them. Starting in verse 7, he says that, uh, or let's start in verse 6. He says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. (coughs) So he's talking about God repaying with affliction those who are afflicting his persecuted church. Verse 7 And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, 
when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. You see what the scripture says that? That Christ is going to come and deal out retribution to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You see that? Christ is supreme. He is so supreme that the eternal destiny of mankind hinges on how he responds to the person of Christ. Amen? Now that's a serious weighty matter. Would you agree? The supremacy of Christ is a serious weighty matter. I ask you, could there be a more serious matter? Could there be a more weighty matter that our eternal destinies hinge on whether or not we uh, give obedience to Christ? That's it, family. That's the big deal. Amen? God help us to see this. God help us to see what this supremacy of Christ really means. It's something very, very big. The New Testament describes the fact that eventually all created intelligent beings will one day give allegiance to Christ and verbally confess his lordship over them. Philippians 2.9 Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Now, now think about what the scripture is saying here. What is the point? that is being conveyed in these verses of Scripture, that every knee will bow. They're in rebellion. And he's an authority. Amen? He has a name that's above every name. He has a dominion and a rule that is above all other dominions and rule. Listen, surrender, submission, rightly belongs to Christ. Rebels do not belong in his world. He gives them their very life. Amen? Consider what a great abomination it is that the little creature would treat the creator in such a way. It's a shocking, horrifying thing. Would you agree? We get the most vivid picture of it when we see Jesus, the lamb, on the cross. And Barabbas, the insurrectionist and the murderer, set Scott free. That's what's in the heart of a man. And Jesus hangs on the cross and says, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. <coughs> Amen? <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, Jesus is Lord, whether one recognizes it or not. Just because one has not submitted their life to him, does not mean that one is not accountable to him. For he will come to judge every person for the deeds done in the body, as the gospel declares. And he alone possesses the authority to determine one's eternal destiny. Ultimately, every person that has ever lived will bow their knee before Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as the Lord. That day will either be a day of glorious celebration for the faithful or a day of shocking terror for the wicked and unbelieving. This is clear in the scripture. 2 Timothy 4.1 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Here the scripture identifies Jesus Christ as the judge of the living and the dead. 
Listen to the very words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. Here he says, For what will it be profited a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will then recompense every man according to his deeds. And so Jesus himself claimed to be the judge. He claimed that he's going to come in the glory of of God with the powerful angels. And then he's going to recompense every man according to his deeds. Imagine such a thing. And I'll, I'll tell you now, I think the chief criteria by which Christ will look at our deeds will be, did we give obedience to him? I understand. Justification comes by faith. It comes by trust in something that Christ has done and not we ourselves. But family, when we possess true saving faith, what then is the product of our life? Deeds worthy of repentance. Right? A faith that is not a dead faith, but a faith that is accompanied with deeds. Are you with me? I promise you, I'm not twisting the gospel. We'll talk about it in great length. The next part of the series here, we're going to deal with, uh, with the atonement, and we're going to deal with saving faith, and we're going to deal with those things from the scripture. But the point is, is that when Jesus looks at our deeds, what's he going to see? When he looks to recompense every man according to his deeds, what's he going to see? I, I, I su- submit this to you, that for every true believer, Christ will look at your life and he'll say, look how he sings praises to my name. Look how he speaks words that glorify me and exalt me. Look how he properly places me in authority. Look how she glorifies me and the way that she treats her husband. You with me? He's going to look at the life of true believers, and the fruit is going to be manifest. Would you agree? Fact of the matter is, there's coming a day when Jesus himself is going to appear in glory with all of his angels, and he's going to recompense everyone, because he is the Lord and judge. Amen? Amen. God, help us to see him as Lord and judge now. Amen? Dear reader, if you have never acknowledged Jesus as the Lord of your life, today is the day. You are not guaranteed tomorrow, and there will be no second chances on the other side of the grave. Turn from your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus, and he will give you eternal life. Reject him and pay the wages of your sin, which is death, eternal separation from God, and everything that is good. And here again, the scripture is clear, John 3.18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. How about Matthew 13, verse 41 and following? There Jesus giving us a parable of the kingdom. He says, The son of the man will will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Amen? You know, when it's all said and done and Jesus arrives to settle accounts, there's only going to be two kinds of people in the world. The justified, the ones who are declared righteous by the merits of Christ, and the wicked, those who will be gathered up like weeds and burned in the fire. That's how Jesus describes the end of the age, family. That's how Jesus, the Supreme, describes what's important in life. He says, let me tell you about my kingdom. Let me tell you about the kingdom I'm preaching. There's coming a time when it's going to reach an end. And there's going to be a consummation of things. 
There's going to be a reconciliation. I'm going to come in the glory of God with all the angels. And I'm going to recompense every man for his deeds. There's only going to be two kinds of people in the world at that point. You with me? That's how Jesus describes his kingdom. And he does that again and again. Matthew 13 is a chapter, I think, that has four parables there that, that make that crystal clear, that, that point. Well, the door of God's free grace and mercy is now wide open, awaiting for you to walk through and be forgiven. Come to Christ in repentance and faith and be saved. Amen? That's the gospel, family. Well, consider this. When we talk about Jesus being supreme, you know, just how supreme is he? What does it mean? How does the Bible define his supremacy? And, you know, we've looked at the fact that the scripture calls him Lord and that, that, that term implies his authority and that he possesses this authority. He's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of all. He has all the authority of heaven and earth. And that that authority is over all mankind and all angels and all intelligent beings in the creation. He is, he's Lord over all. Amen? But how does it define his supremacy in its workings? And so I'd like to suggest to you that the scripture makes it very clear that Jesus is the Lord of providence and history. Think about this idea. That Jesus is the Lord of history. What do we mean when we say that? What do we mean when we say Jesus is the Lord of providence? Okay? And let's talk about that. Because Jesus has existed eternally as God, the Son, in heavenly glory, and because his nature has not changed since the incarnation, he simply took on the additional nature as a man, he still possesses the full attributes of deity, including all incommunicable attributes of God, such as omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. Here's what we're saying. Jesus is not just fully man, but he is what? Fully God, right? Therefore, he possesses what? All of the attributes of God. Amen? And so, if you will, Jesus, the Son, possesses the attributes of omnipotence. He's all-powerful. He possesses the attribute of omniscience. He knows all things. Whatsoever things there are to know, he knows them all completely and fully and intimately. And furthermore, he is, he is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere present in all places that there is presence to be. He is there. He's omnipresent. He's God, very God. And so when he became incarnate as a man, he simply took on the additional nature as a man. And as we've studied very clearly, and as the Chalcedonian definition makes it very clear, that Jesus is God, very God, and he is also fully man. And that both of those natures exist together in this great mystery that we call the hypostatic union, right? Jesus is fully God and fully man. Amen? He's that, he's that, Unto us a child is born and a son is given and the government will rest upon his shoulders and he shall be what? Mighty God, everlasting Father. Amen? Amen. And so as we have, have seen in the scripture, Jesus possesses these attributes of God. He is in fact the very agent of the Godhead in creation and the providential control of the universe. This is how the scripture defines the supremacy of Christ. It says that he is the very agent of God in providence. Jesus is the one that carries out the providence of God. Okay? Jesus is the one that carries out the creation. He's the creator. That's what the scripture says. The scripture plainly declares 
that Jesus Christ is the creator of everything that exists, including everything that is visible and invisible, which is to include all things in existence. These statements in scripture are emphatic, exhaustive, and comprehensive. And so you're familiar with Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. There it says, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That means the preeminent one of all creation. For by him, that is Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. Listen, Jesus is supreme. He's created everything for himself. By him, all things were created. Amen? All things, it says, were created by him and what? For him. him. They exist for his purposes. Amen? How supreme is he? He's the one that created everything for himself. Amen? Hebrews 1, 2 and 3. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Here, another emphatic statement in Scripture that Jesus made the world. How about John 1, verse 3? Here is an emphatic statement of his creation. It says there, remember in the beginning there, it says in the the beginning was the Word, right? Jesus, the living Word, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, right? And then it goes on, verse 3. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Amen? You see that last half of the verse? Look at that again. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. What's the point? (laughs) The point is, He made it all. All of it. Every bit of it. Amen? So the Holy Spirit uses a negative to express it. You see that? Okay. But notice that the primary reason for this, that is that Jesus created all things, right? The primary reason for this, stated in Colossians 1.18, is so that he might come to have first place in everything. Now, remember the context of this uh, statement, Colossians chapter 1. We just looked at verses 15 and 16, which said, right, by him all things were created. He's the image of the invisible God, that all things have been created by him and for him. In that context, the scripture goes on to say this, and he, that is Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together, now, he says here, he also is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Look here. So that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Why is he the creator? Why is he before all things? Why is he the head of the body, the church? Why is he the beginning? So that he himself might come to have first place in everything. If you have an an NIV, you know what it says there? So that he might have the supremacy in all things. If you have a KJV, um, there it says uh, that he might... I'm sorry, I forgot the KJV word. Somebody's got a KJV back here. Anybody? Colossians 1, 18. The idea is that Christ will have this supremacy... The reason he's the creator, the reason he's the beginning, the reason he is holds all things together is so that he might come to have first place in everything. Amen? Amen. Where then does supremacy belong? It belongs in Christ and on Christ. So what should be supreme in your life? Christ. Christ. What should be supreme in my life? What should be supreme in world government? What should be supreme in all the heavens and the earth? What should be supreme among the angels? Amen. 
Let me tell you. That's why things exist. Everything exists so that he might have first place in everything. Amen? Family, this gives us great hope for the future. You know what's going to happen right here? He's going to have first place in everything. And let me tell you, when that happens, there's going to be peace on the earth. Preeminence. Preeminence, yeah. There in the King James and in the New King James and in several other versions. It says, so that he might have the preeminence. Okay? That he will be supreme. He came as a suffering servant. He came as as the lamb that was slain. Right? He's coming again as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Make no mistake about it. When you read the revelation of Jesus Christ, you know what this last book of the Bible is? It's a revelation of what? Of Christ's person. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. You read in that book, what do you see? You see the consummation of everything coming to its fullness. Okay? And these things are coming soon and very soon. We need to make sure He's supreme. Amen? Sean, just the passage that you read at the beginning, you know, the Lion of Judah and this Lamb, no ordinary Lamb, just meditating on those verses It's amazing. Just the thought of it. The very thought of the supremacy of Christ is, is something that is all-encompassing. And, and here's what we mean. We're making this statement. Everything exists in the creation for this purpose. We, you know, we people, we tend to think the universe revolves around us. Right? You know, men thought that for ages and ages until they finally studied the stars long enough and they realized, hey, wait a minute, time out. We're not the center of the universe, are we? Right? You with me? We tend to think everything exists for us. And we're missing the whole point. Amen? On the contrary. But once we understand that and we begin to understand, listen, everything exists for what? Let me tell you for what. For the supremacy of Christ. That he might have first place in everything. Which means our gospel is a gospel that proclaims him as what? As supreme. As the one who's in authority. The one who is in power. The one who possesses all wisdom and power and love. Amen? Like the kids were singing, our God is an awesome God. He reigns in wisdom and power and love. Amen? Glorious, awesome, almighty God. Amen? That's why everything exists. It exists for his fame. Everything exists for the fame of Jesus Christ. Everything exists so that everything that has eyes might see the beauty of his glory. Everything exists for this idea of the supremacy of Christ. And family, it's got to be the principle that guides our life. So whatever decision you're making, make it in light of the fact that Jesus is the Lord. Amen? Well, we're making the point here that Jesus is the Lord of providence and history. The scripture says that all these things exist so that he might have to, to have first place in everything. That is that he might be the preeminent one, or that he would have supremacy in all things. This means that Jesus is the very Lord of history, and that because all things were created by him and for him, that all things exist for the end or purpose for which he made them, he being the proprietor and executor of his own works. You understand? Everything was made by him and for him. And, and so that, therefore, he's the proprietor. You know what that means? He's the owner. Right? You're reading Psalms, right? The, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the earth and all they that dwell therein. They are God's possession. He owns them. He's the proprietor. Listen, Jesus owns the world. Amen. 
and everything that is in it. Why? Because he made it with his own hands. He called into being from nothing everything that exists. And he made it for himself. He's the executor of his own works. He fashioned it. He worked it out. He put it together. He holds it together. And he's bringing it to an expected end. Amen? Amen. He's the sovereign. He's the supreme. He's the Lord of history. Jesus is supreme in his person and and being because he is the eternal God, the one creator of all that exists, the man who is this God incarnated in human flesh. He is the focal point of human history and the one for whom all things exist for his own purposes, to magnify and exalt his fame, beauty, and power. That's why everything exists. So that Christ will be magnified and supreme. That he might be the preeminent one. That's why everything exists. You know, you want a springboard for the gospel? It's a great question. Why does everything exist? Any ideas? Well, let me tell you about my Lord. (laughs) You got something to say? Family, you got something to say? You have something to say, let me tell you. Amen? You with me? We got so many things to tell people about Jesus. We could be here till the cows come home. Are you with me? I don't know about you, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. I want to talk to people about wisdom. I want to talk to them about why everything is here. I see the emptiness in people's eyes. And I've got the words of life. I'm carrying, I'm just a clay pot walking around with the words of life. You know what that word is? Jesus is supreme. He's the king. And he bids you come to him. That you might have rest. Amen? Do you know all those people walking around with that emptiness in their eyes? You know what they need? They need rest. They've been carrying that load of sin all their life long. They've been panting and thirsty and hungry and nothing fills. Nothing quenches. There's only one thing that quenches and fills. Amen? Jesus. Charles Hodge comments, on this idea of the supremacy of Christ. He says this, The person to whom they are to bow the knee is Jesus, not the Logos, but the God-man. And the acknowledgement which they are to make is that he is Lord, their Lord, their absolute proprietor and sovereign. Of course, here he's commenting on Philippians 2, uh, 9 through 11. But he goes on. And it is in this sense also that the apostle says that God hath appointed the Son heir of all things. It is in virtue of this dominion over the universe that Christ is called Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the sovereign over all other sovereigns in heaven and on earth. This universal authority is exercised in a providential control and for the benefit of his church. He employs the angels as ministering spirits to minister to the heirs of salvation. He controls and restrains the principalities and powers and world rulers and spirits of wickedness. He overrules all the affairs of nations and of individuals to the same end. He directs all events concerning his people severally and his church collectively. Paul constantly recognized this providential control of Christ as directing all his steps. Under the present dispensation, therefore, Christ is the God of providence. It is in and through and by him that the universe is governed. This dominion or kingdom is to last until its object is accomplished, until all his enemies, all forms of evil, and even death itself is subdued. Then this kingdom, this mediatorial government of the universe is to be given up. And there, of course, he's referring to 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But the point is, is that, listen, Jesus is the God of providence. Jesus is the one directing all nations. He's the ruler, that Revelation 1.5, of the kings of the earth. 
That he is in fact directing and governing all the affairs of the universe. Bringing it to his expected end. Amen? Don't lose hope, family. Don't lose hope. Jesus is in control. God is on the throne. Amen? Listen, our place is to go back to sleep in the bottom of the boat with Jesus. You with me? Let the wind and the waves, just let it blow. Let it blow. Don't fret. Fear not. Amen? Your Father's pleased to give you the kingdom. He's pleased to bring His peace to rest in your heart and to give you rest from all your labors. Amen? Don't fret. Listen, Jesus has it under control. He's going to fix it. You with me? And you don't have to. You don't have to fix it. Believe that? You can't fix it. You're powerless. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. Amen? Just abide. Just listen, just abide in the fruit of the Spirit. Abide in His love. Abide in His joy. Abide in His patience. Amen? Just let Him rule. Just let Him reign. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Amen? The fact that Jesus is the agent of God and providence is clearly seen in Scripture. He literally upholds all things by the word of His power, and in Him all things hold together. This means that all the molecules of the physical and non-physical universe are governed by Jesus Christ. Amen? That's clear in the Scriptures we've presented there. I just want to remind you, real quickly, about the providence of God, and we'll end. He is directing history to accomplish his purposes and is bringing it to an expected end, the end for which he planned and decreed that it should all exist from before the ages began. The scripture plainly declares that everything that happens is happening ultimately under the sovereign authority of God as he directs them, so that in the end his purposes are fulfilled. Paul affirms that God works all things after the counsel of his will and to his ends. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 1.11 and 12. And how about Romans 8.28? That we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Listen. God causes all things to work. Amen? For His purpose. Amen? Amen. No fretting here. Ecclesiastes 7.13 Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what He has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. Listen, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our sight. Won't you marvel with me? Take a look. Behold what God has done. Glorious, marvelous things. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What hast thou done? You know why? Because Psalm 135 declares the truth. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods and whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all deeps. Amen? Amen. Our part is to marvel. Our part is to worship. Amen? Our part is for Christ to have first place in our heart. For Christ to have first place in our affections. You with me? I don't know about you, we start singing those Christmas songs. Man, I just get broken to the core. Because it's just a cry of my heart. I don't know about you, I can't think of anything else more adorable than the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we sing, oh come let us adore him, 
He's just lifted up in my heart. Amen? Amen. He is the resting place for my adoration and my worship and my praise. He is the water that quenches the thirst of my soul. Amen? I want to end with this hope for you and for me. When Christ has accomplished all his purposes and the end of the ages arrives, his enemies will be dashed under his feet and peace will reign forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and following says this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then those who are Christ's at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him, that is God the Father. And when all things are subjected to him, that is Christ, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all. Here's briefly what the scripture is saying right there. He says, so as in Adam all die, and Christ also be made alive. Right? Verse 23, Christ the first fruits. Right here. Christ the first fruits. In Christ, in Christ all shall be made alive. All those who are in Christ shall be made alive. Right? Christ is the first fruits. He was made alive at his resurrection. Right? Then those who are Christ's at his coming, right? For the Lord shall descend from heaven with a loud trumpet call, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, right? At his coming, right? Then what does it say? Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the Father, And he abolishes even the last enemy, which is death. You see that? Amazing promises of what Christ is doing in his world and the expected end to which he's bringing it. Amen? And you want to read about that future glory? Revelation 21 and 22. Amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we praise you. We glorify you. We do hold you supreme in our hearts. Lord, we do worship and adore you. And I pray, dear God, as we celebrate your incarnation in this season, that, Lord, you would be exalted as supreme in all of our affections and all of our longings and desires. Oh, Lord, help us to gaze intensely upon your person and your being. And fill us there, we pray. We thank you for your kindness and love and drawing us to yourself and opening our eyes, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. We bless you and we honor you because of Jesus' holy cross. Amen.